Let me pray. Father, sanctify these human words for the glory of your Son's name by the power of the Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Do you remember back, way back in 2013? I'm starting to feel old when I think 2013 was a long time ago, but it was. So do you remember a couple summers ago, way back in 2013, when Man of Steel came out? You know, it was the uh, Superman movie that everyone was raving to see. And there were a lot of evangelical Christians uh, who ran off to the theater in groups to see it because it was supposed to be such a Christian movie, right? It was supposed to be a movie that portrayed Jesus. Uh, And there was an Entertainment Weekly article that came out about that time. The author wrote this. I'll just read a portion of it. Man of Steel's ironic super-Jesus takes the adversary out once and for all with a much-talked-about act of violence that represents shocking violation of Superman's storied turn-the-other-cheek, thou-shalt-not-kill code of ethics. This is not your father's Superman or his metaphorical Jesus. Man of Steel is is subversive mythology for atheists that exalts a Superman who behaves the way they think God should but doesn't. So when I read that, I hear him saying, Atheists expect God to behave a certain way, but he doesn't. So there's something rather off about this portrayal of Jesus in Man of Steel, isn't there? And I remember reflecting on this idea when I was reading uh, Beowulf again. I know we've all read Beowulf in high school. And as I decided to read it again with my friend Caleb about the same time, I was reflecting on this, uh, this theme and it's, many, it's interesting that many have identified uh, Beowulf too as a Christ figure, especially when he goes out to fight um, Grendel, the dragon, Grendel's mother, and so forth. But, I, you know, I wonder uh, if we should take just a moment to reflect on this. Is the Man of Steel, is Beowulf, is it actually capturing the gospel? Is this how God actually rules and reigns? Does he merely reign with force? On that note, there was an interesting book called American Jesus published several years ago by a professor of religion at Boston University. His name is Stephen Prothero, and this is what he writes. He basically is describing how American pop religion has crafted all sorts of Jesuses. So he writes, In From Jesus to Christ, a book from 1988, Paula Fredrickson has described how the early church transformed Jesus the man into the Christ of the creeds. In the U.S., Americans reversed that process. As they made it possible to reject the Calvinist Christ, the creedal Christ, and the biblical Christ, Jesus became accessible to Americans who could not believe in predestination, the Trinity, or the inerrancy of the Bible. As they disentangled Jesus from Christianity itself, Jesus' piety became possible even for non-Christians. To be sure, not all Americans went this far. After the American Jesus, born in Jefferson's White House and raised by evangelical and liberal Protestants, he turned his back on his Christian upbringing and struck out on his own in multi-religious America. Conservative believers beckoned him back to what many still believe is a Christian nation. But, listen... The genie was out of the bottle, and Americans of all religious persuasions, and none, 
now felt free to embrace whichever Jesus fulfilled their wishes. Jesus, in American pop religion, has been feminized, he's been masculinized, he's been reincarnated into various ethnic backgrounds. He is a superstar, he's an enlightened guru, he is even a guy with lots of machismo, etc. And after the evangelical heyday of Jesus being this kind of soft and sentimental, warm and fuzzy kind of guy, well, maybe we'll have a hipster Jesus. And maybe that Jesus will drink craft beer, wear flannel, and of course he'll only listen to uh, albums on vinyl. That's the hipster Jesus. So you see where this is going. American religion has a way of being kind of silly, and we all participate it participate in it at some level or another. And no wonder we have many leaving the church. But back to the original discussion. Does this idea, does this man of steel like Jesus, does this Beowulf like Jesus, does it actually capture the gospel we proclaim and sing about? Is this Jesus really in line with the one we are confronted with in Scripture? Well, let's listen. Tonight in our midst, we have heard this promise from Jeremiah 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The message from Jeremiah is absolutely astonishing. It's amazing because in some Very much unlike the message we hear from Man of Steel, we hear that grace actually has the final word. How so? Well, in Jeremiah, we have heard words, if we've been reading up to Jeremiah 33, we have heard nothing but words of absolute judgment against his people. Absolute judgment and total destruction. Up until chapter 30 of Jeremiah, We have been hearing the voice of judgment, words of law. Chapter 7, for example, explains the evil that pervades the land. There's idolatry, false worship, theft, murder. In other words, the people have forsaken God, and as a result, there is widespread evil. There is vertical evil between man and God, and so there is horizontal evil between man and man. Because Man has forsaken God. Relations with one another is off kilter. And so after continual refusal to hear the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah, God pronounces judgment. And these prophets have been using uh, the analogy of a tree. So the, uh, so the prophets will, will speak of Israel and Judah as a tree. And so when this uh, word comes that is judgment the analogy of a tree turns into the analogy of a stump. So God says, to this tree that is Israel and Judah, I'm going to lay waste to it, and I will cut you down to a stump. 
Because they have forsaken the fatherless and the widow, they have oppressed one another, God will cut them down. And even now, even here in our midst, 2,500 years later, in a time where we think we have progressed to a better state, is this not our state of affairs too? Does not the news we hear every day from Paris to Beirut to Charleston to Oregon, you name it, even our own daily self-centered actions, don't we too oppress one another? And so, as Judah might have finally said to themselves in such a dire situation, we need someone from the outside to rescue us. Perhaps we might ask ourselves, who will deliver us? Who will deliver us? And to that question, God in our midst this evening has answered, I have caused a righteous branch to spring up from David's line, and I have established an eternal priesthood. In other words, God directs us to himself where God has established Jesus Christ as true king and as true priest. This is precisely what, uh, uh, what Luke wants us to remember when, um, when he talks about Mary, the angel visiting Mary. When the angel says that the baby who is the son of the Most High would receive the throne of David and reign over this kingdom forever, this is what we are to remember. This promise from Jeremiah is being fulfilled right before her very eyes, before her very ears, and through her it is being fulfilled. And this evening, too, we hear such a message that the God-man Mary gave birth to 2,000 years ago is the king, and he has received all authority unto himself all authority over heaven and earth, all authority, to borrow the language of Paul, over every dominion, principality, and power. So very much unlike the man of steel, who comes with such pomp and glory, this true king, his glory is made manifest in weakness. In fact, the king appears where we least expected to find him. I was listening on the way home for thanks. Giving. I was listening to a podcast, and the way they put it, Jesus is strange, actually, to our ears. Jesus is strange. He shows up where we least expected to find him. The reformer Martin Luther called this God acting sub contrario. That is, God acts under his opposites, where we least expected to find him. And I think Paul is getting at this point when he says, that God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God appears as a helpless baby. And not only was the Word, the Son, who created all things, humbled to the point of being a child, he was humbled to the point of death. So it's absolutely fascinating uh, that just after saying the righteous branch will rule, this, this branch, this twig that emerges from this stump, Just after saying that, Jeremiah tells us that God is establishing a a Levitical priesthood forever. And this is precisely why Hebrews tells us in chapters 5 through 10 why it labors so much to show us that Jesus is now our great high priest. Hebrews 10.15 By a single offering, he has forever perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is a substitute in your place. It was depicted by the animal sacrifices of the past, but it is fulfilled only by the one great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who forever perfected 
the salvation of his people. God has descended to us in Jesus Christ. He has descended to us and brought an attempt, brought all our attempts at reaching him to an end. Our king became a servant, and he became a servant even to death. So in response to our measureless sin, God has shown us measureless grace. Jesus Christ has established himself as ruler, as the king who is the priest on our behalf. Words of judgment do not have the last word, but words of grace, words of comfort. In spite of ourselves, God loves us. Grace has the last word. And how is this love most chiefly expressed? Says Jeremiah, He has caused a righteous branch to spring up for David. From the stump of Israel emerges a shoot. In short, from Israel emerges the Christ child, the king, the one who is true king and is true priest. So as we reflect this Christmas season, this Advent season, on Jesus' birth, on the Incarnation, we would do well to let the words of Jeremiah resonate deeply within us. This Jesus is the King who conquers. He battles on our behalf. He rescues us. But He is also the one who dies in our place. He will rule in righteousness, fairness, and equity, but He is the true and final Levi that is, our great high priest. And now, here in Birmingham, just like the people of Judah waited in eager expectation for God to act, so now we too, here in the 21st century, long for God to act again. We long for this Jesus' rule and reign to be consummated, do we not? Who will deliver us, we might ask? Hear these words of victory from Revelation 5.1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
In John's vision, the lion is also the lamb who appears as though it had been slain. So in like man of steel or Beowulf, who only put a band-aid over a bullet hole and who only feed the current state of affairs with, with just the same, with even more explosive heroic, heroic acts, Jesus the Christ is seen as the one who lays down his life to bring an end to this current world order. Jesus is the lion-like lamb who defeats death by taking death on himself. And he is the lamb-like lion who sets the captives free. He has set us free to be a kingdom and priests to our God. Amen.